And now it's time for DNP Presents Dirty Nerdy Podcast. With your hosts, Brian and Matthew. Three, two, one. Dirty Nerdy Podcast. That's where it's at. It's Matthew. Where? Where it's at. I got two turntables and the microphone. Sorry. I speaking of Beck, I learned that he does vocals on a couple of Chemical Brothers soundtrack or uh, Chemical Brother tracks, and I little I really love Chemical Brothers. Um, coming up on Valentine's Day. Yeah, you got anything planned? Yeah, my son's gonna watch his sister, and we're gonna watch a movie and have candlelight dinner in our in our room without any interruptions hopefully if we get a good solid three hours out of it i think that'll be good you're not gonna be like like the dude in van wilder are you <laughs> so much oil on her that you just whoop, slide right off knock the candles off <laughs> it's, it's light funny the place on fire so ryan ryan reynolds character van wilder was based on one of my favorite comedians, which is Burt Crusher. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I fucking love that movie. And, of course, I, I like Ryan Reynolds, too. I've never He's seen a awesome. Ryan Reynolds film that I didn't enjoy. Even with Green Lantern, the, the CGI effects were awful. I still enjoyed the movie, though. So, yeah. It was... Yeah. If you ever have a bad day, and laughter is the mess the best medicine google or open up youtube type in burt kreshner and just watch something of his or better yet he has a couple of netflix specials that are a fucking amazing um you will feel so much better afterwards because not only are you getting more oxygen into your blood supply because you're laughing and you're breathing better. But you'll have the serotonin from from the laughter. Waiting. What? The, <laughs> the movie, Ryan Reynolds, Waiting. Oh, yeah, Waiting. Waiting is the, yes. That would be, that, waiting that, that, is that would probably be one of my go-to ones, if not Van, Wild, Van Wilder. But uh, he, I, I hated that he only had a cameo and uh harold and kumar <laughs> hey it's just but why <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great cameo it was i wish he could have been in that it. and um uh, uh, what's his face that plays dookie hauser has a cameo in the, or a neil patrick in harris harold and kumar yeah neil patrick harrison another one of my favorite that comedians he had such a hard time with that role it, like he was literally like just 200 bucks it. for the love stain i left in the back of your seat or your car <laughs> you'll know what i mean when you see it but like that that role for neil patrick harrison was like his breakout role uh to Dude, become... yeah that was like his comeback from from doogie hauser yeah i love that i love that about actors and actresses Dude, he's mm. just awesome. He's one of my favorite actors. Well, both both of those gentlemen are on my list of people to have a side chat. 
yeah, sit down and have coffee with and, and just talk because they're very smart. They're very traveled individuals. Um, I don't. Would you do some blow off the ass of a hooker? Yeah, kind of depends on the hooker. <laughs> because I so I was talking about you the other day and I was like, he's my lover from another mother. <laughs> Wait, doesn't that make this incest? Another mother, not the same mother. Right, but it's like, you know, a play on your brother from another mother. So if I'm Still a lover incest. from another mother, isn't aren't you implying that You could be my stepbrother, yeah. What's wrong with that? Okay. So uh <laughs> All right. anyway, yeah, I was talk I was talking about you and I was saying like I'm like what are you talking about? He's my he's my lover from another mother, and I think it was my mom I was talking to, and she was like, "Do what?" I'm like, "Well, he's not your son, is he?" No, I don't even know him. <laughs> and I'm like, "Cause he has a different mom, and I love him." I'm not funny. I'm unintentionally funny. I'm always funny when I don't want to be. Isn't that the best kind of funny? Because otherwise it's forced and. You can feel that. So how's your week? My week was good. Got a new client and that's has a business that's very new to me. Um, it has to do with tennis. I don't know anything about tennis other than it involves rackets and balls and the net. But so I get a task assigned to me and it's basically to like manipulate the time frames and on how um, a client or one of their customers can designate the amount of time it takes uh, to do a match. And I guess like there's like some people are just like um, really particular about it, right? They're like, oh, I want 75 minutes for a match, yeah. for or I want 90 minutes for doubles. And I was like, sure. yeah, but I don't know how any of this interprets and. What's really neat about programming is 80% of the time, you don't need to know that industry in order to exact a solution because the programming is manipulation of objects, doing some math, and things like that. Then I had an another meeting with a client, a different client, and I got a really cool interpretation of what I do as a as a profession, which is she said that the things that she likes about developers are their ability to add value to their customers out of thin air. Okay. That was a very it was a very beautiful way of saying what it is that I do. Because it's just this it's the same thing as like a you know, an artist. Art didn't exist and then it was created out of thin air, essentially, or their mind using some tools and some resources so yeah that was really cool to hear her say that and i hope that means that she likes what she got from me sounds like she wants to take you out to dinner <laughs> i get that often actually <laughs> people wanting to take you out to dinner no people flirting with me oh okay anything fun happen um, <laughs> kick the hornet's nest a little bit why the fuck would um, you kick a hornet's nest? Well, we were... That's dealing with a 
a customer issue that was having issues with scope collision and um, traversal behavior. So I think a lot of ways of how you handle scope collision, especially in certain languages, is uh, a preference or a choice. Not necessarily like this is the only way to do it kind of thing. So I put a question out to the team and, you know, I work with a team of 30 some individuals and they all have, you know, enough difference of opinion where like 30, 30% of it is outside of the box. And that, that created additional conversation that led way into the evening of people like looking up blog posts and, and, uh, having back and forth conversations, which I think those kinds of conversations are good. But at the same time, like from a customer's perspective, they're not going to want to sit there and pay you for an hour to talk development theory, right? They just want an answer and they want to fix. That's it. Right. Yeah. They're paying you for a product. Right. Did you just bark, Matt? No, that's my dog. She wants me to pay attention to her. Aww. She recently just had a birthday. Yeah, she's one year old. Golly. As of February 1st. It's been a year, huh? Well, for her, it's one trip around the sun for her. Uh, I only got her in October. She was still a puppy, but yeah, she's she's very much a teenager now. Apparently, dogs do go through a form of psychological angst as they mature, similar to human teenagers, where the uh, they don't listen to what their owners say at all. Um, <laughs> they talk back and they seem aggressive while they're they're not actually being aggressive. Um, but around other people, they're they're they are just a peach <laughs> but it's only their owners that they're like no fuck you i'm doing whatever i want is this your sweater yeah not anymore uh, <laughs> yeah there's a ton of parallels to parenting humans um in what you just said except for i don't consider myself as my son or daughter's owner that uh, that's the only one that doesn't really match Oh sure, yeah, no, I I would be concerned if you're calling your your son your your pet or like you owned him. That uh... well, I mean, I mean in in some way, yes, I I do own him per se, but I don't treat him as an owner and a you know. I would I, say I you're don't... responsible for him, not that you own him. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you want to see my bank account? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying it, it's probably more appropriate to say you're responsible for an offspring than. Oh yes, of course, of course. Uh, and speaking of my son, um, I have to say this because since we are the Dirty Nerdy podcast, when he goes to bed at night, Dirty Nerdy, he goes to bed listening to. Uh, YouTube videos of hardware reviews for computer components. <laughs> and I'm like, that that's a proud dad moment for me. That's different, but right on. 
So I'm, you know, well, you know how they say, like, if you go to bed and you're listening to an audio recording of something, subliminally, a lot of that information gets into your subconscious. Um, and so he wakes up, and after he's been up for 20, 30 minutes, he can have a full-on hour philosophical conversation about, you know, the difference of one processor compared to another processor and what those differences mean and how they trans trans transpire into better performance on one type of usage or another and i'm like how are you getting all this he and then he was like well when you go past my my room in the morning on your way to the office um you you might notice that I'm listening to like Linus Tech Tips or somebody else on YouTube and not trying to plug anybody, but I know he's like one of the big ones on there. But it's yeah, it's really cool because you know he's not just doing it because he's trying to find an answer. He's doing it because he wants to genuinely learn something because it's interesting to him. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, how was your week? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I busted my office chair. <laughs> oh, snap. Sprained my ankle. Jesus. At the same time? Uh, no, because of one, one evening I, I had to take my dog out and I came back in and I just, I couldn't, it, I, I couldn't take putting any, any weight on it. So I crashed into the nearest object and coming in the back door I my office is the closest so I kind of just quickly hobbled over there and landed my ass into my seat and busted a few caster wheels oh no so it's giving me an excuse to to buy a new a new chair it's it's only disappointing cuz I've had this chair since high school it's really comfortable it's got a lot of memories um, <laughs> what kind of memories does it have? Uh, sorry, that was really creepy. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was. I mean, just uh, it was a it was a gift from my dad. Um, it was one of the first chairs that I I I did a lot of video gaming when I was younger. It was the first chair I was able to just sit in and not not move at all uh so you know i've i've got those memories of just being in high school and being relaxed and not feeling like i have to get up and walk around because the chair is uncomfortable that's all hell yeah Um, you know you could always just repurpose the chair and put it on like a fixed base or something no 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 okay no sorry i won't be i won't be allowed to do that Oh. It's it's trash and it has to go. I'm sorry. Uh plus we we have a small house so it's not like we would have space for it. On top that. of that, today I um so my new um uh I deployed a, a new server at the beginning of this month and it manages uh, software po- product entitlement 
and update distribution for all of our Red Hat servers. And I thought I had resolved a bug in that there was a bug in it that I that I was running into, so I contacted the software vendor. They told me that they needed the logs from a fresh install uh, to see what was going on. Well, so I rebuilt the server, um, <laughs> and the bug disappeared. So I presumed it was some sort of race condition that I was encountering. And other people have encountered this issue, too, so it's not just me. Right. Um, but uh, so uh, I did some heavy testing, and uh, by the end of January, I, I certified it as ready for production. Um, so I released it into our production environment, moved all of our servers over. And then today my coworker is like, hey, I can't get to this repository. So I'm looking at it, and I discovered that I've encountered the same issue. And it's uh, for some unknown reason, the um, product entitlement certificate is missing the content for the repository. So while it's subscribed to that product, um, it, it's it's not able to access the repo. So I'm digging into it, and I find out that I can force regenerate all of the product entitlement certificates through a RESTful API. Well, so today I've spent all day trying to build a an API client. It uses OAuth2 for authorization, or for authorization and authentication. Um, so I've got the, the key and the secret, but for the life of me, I can't get it to generate a token, and I can't get the web there's a web interface to it because it's a Java application, the, the entitlement software. So I'm browsing to it, and it won't let me run any of the queries from the web application. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm ending the day with, all I've got to do is call this one fucking function and pass it lazy regen equals true. That's all I got to do. Either hit this endpoint through an API client, or that's really the, that's really the only way that that I can figure out to, to get it done. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, and all no, I've got no, to do I... is get it to regenerate the certificate, reload the certificates on on the Red Hat server, and then verify that it works, and then I can, and then I can let Red Hat know, hey, I found this bug. You know, we closed my bug ticket because you couldn't reproduce the issue, even though we've got um, all different uh, a bunch of different customers reporting that they're experiencing the same thing. And I just I wasted nine hours today trying to build the or just trying to get somehow get this fucking function to fire off. That's it. Uh, I'm similarly. I had a customer that was moving from one version of a language to another version and the way the language changed um, scoping of cert, you know of uh, 
local variable scopes, he was getting uh, his argument collection returning undefined. Oh. And so he's just like, I can't make heads or tails of this. So I'm like, okay, well, let's work backwards. And, you know, what is this show when it's run? And, of course, the whole thing is being ran through an API, of course. Um, so there are multiple moving parts involved and, you know, working through troubleshooting that with him. But where he and I spent maybe a handful of hours, he he felt that it was a better use of time and, and resources than for him to try to do it on his own. Because he's... Um, but, uh, I mean, even... He, we, we were getting small measurements of success, but it wasn't working all the way through. Um, so there's probably still some underlying issues. So similarly to, to what you're, you're having an issue with, it's like you need to do this one simple thing and it, and it won't work, but it doesn't really give you an explanation of why. So you're just like, beat your head against the brick wall, beat your head against the brick wall, beat your head. Okay. I'm bleeding now. Can can it just work? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm I'm getting this error. The error I'm getting is um, invalid credentials, and I'm passing it. I, I'm just, but but the the token endpoint isn't generating a token for me. <sighs> so here's the thing. So the entitlement portion of this software stack is a Tomcat web application. The web GUI is a Ruby app. The workers are Redis and uh, or the workers use Redis and it uses Sidekick, but it also has a set of Python workers. <laughs> yeah, let's just really complicate complicate things. Uh, and then it's got different three different or um, two different message brokers that it uses. And it also uses MongoDB and Postgres. Not either Mongo or Postgres, but Mongo and Postgres. Again, let's make it as hard as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, So, yeah, it's got all these moving parts. So the application stack's called the Foreman. So Foreman would be the web. It's what they try and call the whole thing. But Foreman is really just the web application. And then there's Catello, which does um, all the, provides access to all the the packages and repository, repositories. It uses Pulp to to run out and grab and download all of the, so it does the actual repo mirroring for you. And then you've got Candlepin, which is the, uh, entitlement system. Um. <laughs> Developers should stop naming applications. This is this is secret. This is in very many ways a Red Hat application. Yeah, with horrible names of things. Um, okay. And it's it's like CentOS, where well, what CentOS used to be, where it was by. By day, people worked for Red Hat. By night, those people that worked for Red Hat worked on these these other 
worked on building Centos and so forth. And then Red Hat bought Centos. And then Red Hat turned Centos to shit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... Let's not start a war. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to... No, I, I have a lot of respect for Red Hat. I love them, but I question some of their decisions. Motivation. Just as I'm sure every anyone else would, would question things. They're a business, and just like any other business, they make decisions They're owned that by don't always... IBM. Yeah, let's not let's not go down that hole. Devour. Anyway, so yeah, that's um that that that's that's my week. So hopefully tomorrow I've been building out this this API client in Python, and hopefully I tomorrow I can figure out why what what's going on I, or some way to trigger this thing. I got updates tonight, so it's gonna be a late night. I deploy everything with Ansible, but I I still I I babysit it until it's done. Good system admin. Or at so, least in my opinion, that's what it takes to be, you know, good. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. There's a new Conjuring movie coming out. Yes, there is. Oh, did you see the ad for the new TV series, Clarice? Yes. That looks super exciting. It looks really good. Very well done. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Do you know what I'm watching right now? Um... Uh, the the screen? Huh? No, okay, not right this minute, but in my evenings. Um, I do not. Tell me about it. Um, I am watching Law and Order SVU. Oh, okay. <laughs> what was you expecting? Oh, I thought you were going to tell me about some new series that you're watching and you're going to delve into the, like, the philosophical correlations oh, between it and your belief structure and blah, blah, oh, blah. Oh, I have a perfect one. I just finished watching the last season of, or the newest season of The Expanse. Oh, my God. So, I assume you don't know what The Expanse is. Um, I watched one or two episodes of it. Okay. So, there are so many things that that show is spot on about. Um, the audio mixing and and the, the realism and the attention to detail with space physics is so good. I'm so, so good. The way that something explodes in space and you can't hear it. Oh. You know? Yeah. But, so, like, one of they my... They did that in Firefly. Yes, they did. Which I think, honestly, that's one of the things that Firefly did that created so such a cult following behind them. Is they stuck true to the real-life physics and... Um, atmosphere of what it would be like to be where they were, because um, it was it was believable, and they didn't pander to well, we have to have the eye candy, and we have to have these spectacular things. Space is boring and 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 deadly, and well, I wouldn't empty. say it's boring if it's deadly, <laughs> to be well, honest. No. 
but so there's a, there's a scene in um, the fifth season of Expanse, and, and this won't give away anything, but one of the crew member is stranded on a ship that had been sabotaged. So it's basically the reactor of the ship is hooked up to proximity sensors. So if another ship gets close to it, it will detonate the ship, right? Destroying the person that's trying to rescue. Right. So this, this crew member finally gets found and they're able to communicate like don't approach. So she, you know, jettisons herself from this craft and in the only last ditch effort she has as to, to get away from where she is. But when she did so, um, her foot caught the, the exit of the, the airlock and it caused her to go into a spin. So all that wasted forward momentum ended up getting caught up in the spin. And essentially she knows, okay, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to end up dying out here. Um, but what, what I really loved was the, the rescuing ship sent one of their people from the ship out to her. So, the two ships were outside of the proximity range, but the proximity was only looking for like radio signatures or, or um, engine signatures. But because it's a person going into that proximity range, it was safe and they rescued her. And, you know, they are as they're, they latch onto her and she kind of jolts like, Oh, what is that? And she realizes that they're behind her. And they're hooking up oxygen, they're talking to her, but you can hear, you know, if you got your headphones on, you can hear the audio that's muffled as if your point of view is inside of the person that's being rescued inside of their helmet. Um and you hear like the oxygen, you know, washing into her suit, and it's just—I know there's been some other movies that have done that same kind of thing. Like Interstellar made really good strides in how to do space in Hollywood. Interstellar was a maze balls, and it got Neil deGrasse Tyson's seal of approval. Yeah, and and the, so like that's. That's the thing, like, to to the group of individuals that believe that the moon landing was hoaxed. <sighs> to be careful with what I say here. Okay. So, anybody who's watched a Hollywood film from the 40s on. So, anyone who's seen a movie that's alive. Right. There is a striking difference to what a movie set that would have tried to uh, imitate the surface of the moon. That's why the the landing uh, of of 
um, our astronauts on the moon was as boring as it was. You can't, there's no audio. You just hear people breathing and talking over a radio. That's it. Well, it's, it's not supposed to be glamorous. You, you don't hear the, the surface of the moon coming into contact with their boots like you would on Earth. You don't hear that. There is no fucking wind. You, you don't hear birds chirping. You, you don't hear any of that stuff. You, you really don't even hear like the mechanical sounds of the lander when they open up compartments or something other than um, muffled thumps and, and scrapes because that's exactly what they fucking hear. No, I, I just, I wish that you're rather passionate about this, buddy. Sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just saying you're, there, you're making there are, an observation. There are, 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 there are people have said throughout history many times that the great thing about science is whether you want to believe it or not, it's still science and it still happens. You're just choosing not to believe it for whatever fucking reason, right? And I'm not saying, like, because it's science, I'm right. I'm not saying that at all. I just, I believe in letting the science speak for itself. And inside of a vacuum, which is what space is, sound doesn't travel at all. Um, you could have two spaceships collide... And you're standing there watching them from like, you know, 10 feet away. You don't hear a damn thing. The two people on those ships, though, they can hear it. (laughs) Because inside of the pressurized ship, it's not a vacuum anymore. That, to me, is a wild thing. Because we don't experience that on Earth at all. Um, Yeah. So, no, I, it is something that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about how, how an educated person, and maybe that's the key, is that you would need to be educated to know the difference between whether we really landed on the moon or we faked it. I don't... I don't think it matters whether or not you're educated because educated people can fall for the same brainwashing schemes and traps as lesser educated individuals. I see that point. There are people that 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 will, for some reason or another, ignore science and align with a political party. There are people that believe that the earth is flat. There are and some of these people are highly educated. Don't get me started on flat Anti-vaxxers. Anti-vaxxers. There are some very, very smart people. But for because they believe that their children should have a choice on what goes into their body. And yet they, they reinforce the vaccines are wrong. So, you know, they're essentially holding them hostage. Yeah. But I can talk about that. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get too political. No, uh, I just we won't. Making observations that that let's just you talk know. about it from the stance of 
one one human to another. You're caring about somebody you love. Politics out of the question. I have both a normal child, for all intents and purposes, and I have a child with autism. There is a large population of people who believe that the cause of autism is vaccines, or the lack thereof, or or the wrong vaccines. I believe the major thing is that it's a cause of vac- vaccines. Well, autism... Or it's caused by vaccines, yeah. Autism doesn't have a definitive cause yet. And so they, they look for things that could explain it. But autism is the same type of mental issue that Down syndrome and uh, cerebral palsy kind of fit into. I didn't know it at the time when my daughter was born, but then years later, I, I found out that both my wife and I, in, within our family tree, have multiple relatives that have, were born and lived with Down syndrome. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Um, so that's definitely a statistic. Um, we joined a, a study that used genealogy and medical information that you were willing to share to try to map out the genetics, right? Um, and that's really what it's going to boil yeah. down to. Because I don't think autism is caused by a single factor. I think the environment in which that child is conceived in, and I don't mean like the room that you had sex in. I mean like <laughs> um, chemicals that you, you breathed in or the quality of your water, you know, that kind of thing, right? <clears throat> That affects environmental factors, right? That affects the gestation cycle of a fetus. And those same factors can affect a man's sperm, right? So let me just say this. I'm not an expert at this. Um, I'm speaking solely from my own research. It could be that I'm missing something, but I am open to anybody's comments or anybody's opinions that might help me reach a better understanding of <clears throat> I'm a parent. My child was born with autism. The first question you ask is, well, why my daughter? What what did I do? What did I do wrong? What did I not do right? Right? Sure. Um, so you start thinking like medically. Well, because having a baby it's a medical thing. It, it has to do with your biology of, of a human reproducing. Um, so we started analyzing like things that my wife ate um, and preconception, we started looking at my health. Was my health good? Did I give her bad seed? Um, and then you, you, you're human, so you start going, well, it's my fault. Because you want, you want to... Oh, yeah, you feel guilty. It's easy to blame yourself. Yeah, you want to point it to something. We all do that. It's, it's as old as our need to explore. 
um, is to understand why something is. But if you look at like modern vaccines versus older vaccines, uh, the initial conception of vaccines where you took a dead version of that virus, made sure it was safe and it couldn't affect that person in a harmful way. You give it into the person's bloodstream and when it enters the bloodstream, the white blood cells react to it and it essentially creates antibodies with that virus's signature so that when you do get the virus, you already have an abundance of antibodies that prevent you from getting it or make it less um, impactful to your health, right? Yeah. And with COVID, the exciting thing is um, for the first time in in American, or well, not American, but in human history, we designed, humans designed a vaccine that did not use a dead virus in order to and reintroduce that to your body and instead made a modification uh, like to your biology when you get the vaccine that makes you unable to get that that virus. So in IT terms, if if an antivirus program on a computer worked the same way, which they don't, right? When when you infect a computer with a virus that has an antivirus running on it, the very first thing that antivirus does is quarantines anything that's infected by it and stops it from spreading. The second thing it does is it it goes back and tries to uh, prevent it from uh, infecting other things, right? And in that process, it removes the file, therefore removing the virus. Unfortunately, a body doesn't work the same way. You can't just reach your hand in there, grab the virus, and throw it in the trash. But that's kind of what vaccines do, is... They basically well, keep they keep you from getting it, or so they not, keep you from getting. Re- no, they they don't keep you from getting it. They they just they have your body trained to produce those anti- antibodies, right. and depend depends on if they use recombinant or mRNA. Um, COVID, we've had coronaviruses for a long time and vaccines for them. That's why this one came out so quick. But though. Yes, the COVID COVID vaccine just has the the, um, just has the the spike protein in it. And that's that's all that's that's in it. That's that's the only thing that really makes it different is it's 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 pretty much like the mRNA, but. But it has the additional protein in it. Well, no, it it just it only has the protein in it. only has the protein. Yes. Yeah. COVID-19 is the 26th iteration of the coronavirus. I believe that's correct. It's the 19th strand of the SARS. Right. But COVID goes back. It goes way back. 
Um, and my mother, she works in the medical industry. She is a business uh, director for a long-term uh, rehabilitation com- um, uh, facility. And, you know, the nursing staff and the doctors that she interacts with, it was really nice to hear their side of things because they were on the front line. They saw everything. They read the medical journals. And they were like, the time it took from conception to I have a viable vaccine that can be used was so fast because we dropped everything that we were doing and we diverted all of the industry to solving that one problem. Imagine what we could do if we did the same thing with different types of cancers or all cancers um, and leukemia and I mean, and I say this because I know you know this, our, our listeners don't know this, but I was born with a rare blood condition, I guess you could say. Um, it used to be called, when I was born, it was called histiocytosis X. Good luck spelling that. Um, but now it's called uh, Langerhine syndrome. Um, and it's, it essentially is like my blood would fight with each other. My red blood cells would fight with my white blood cells. Um, and they treated, they treated it back in the early eighties. They treated it the same way they would a cancer with chemotherapy and radiation and, um, blood transfusions and the scary part about that was is that i was born before the medical community would scrub blood donations for the aids virus oh yeah this is during the aids epidemic and uh, before they had a way of really testing for it i can't tell you how many sleepless nights i had when i was 17 waiting for the day that I was going to turn 18. So here's how my 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 summer, well, my, my spring of 1997 went like this. A week before I was scheduled to graduate from high school, I was 17 years old. It was just after Memorial Day in May. My birthday is on the 9th of June. I graduated on the 8th. I turned 19 the very next day. And that same day, I celebrated my 18th birthday, got my license, went and took my license test, got my license, bought a car, and then went and had an AIDS test done. And the very next day, I moved out and moved in with a roommate, who a friend of mine. I'm like, but like that was not really in the order of importance, but that's how important it was for me to to do that. And I never communicated that to my mother, but I guess I could have, and she would have been like, totally understand. Let's go get you tested. But I I feel like she had done enough. Uh, she watched me die in her arms repeatedly from 
birth until I was fifth grade. And I don't know what that's like. I, I've I've had my children get really sick and that was scary enough. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't want to know what it's like to have a doctor tell me that your son's not going to make it through the night. Um, and ironically, I mean, I I wasn't there, so I didn't get to see all the information. I didn't get to know all the knowledge about what was going on and how my treatments were. The story that my mother me- remembers the most is uh, it was Christmas of. Uh, 81 and or uh, yeah Christmas of 81 and the doctors are like we've done everything that we can and she said I would like to take my son home and have Christmas with him when he's at home not in the hospital and they they said okay they did everything that they needed to to make sure that I was going to be comfortable while at home my mom and my dad get home with me and we have Christmas and then we had New Year's and then it was like the 12th of January and I'm still alive and you know they're checking in with her and everything and, and she's like he's not having this symptoms he's not having that symptom he's not doing this he's not, but he's doing all of these positive things and they were like can you bring him in so we can kind of give him a uh, checkup and she said yeah of course I went into she brought me into the hospital and they brought me into a boardroom and there were 27 doctors sitting around a table who essentially just passed me around because they were they had no explanation as to how why I was still alive and in addition to that for all intensive purposes I was cured and because they didn't understand it, I spent the rest of my life up until now, my medical diagnosis is I'm in remission of the, having Langheimer's, Lang, Langerheim's disease or histiocytosis X. Lederhosen. <laughs> Lederhosen. Um, so you can imagine when my daughter was born and then – Two and a half years later, we start. It starts becoming painfully aware that something's not normal. She's not responding the way that our son did to different stimuli. Um, and I immediately, I was like, "Well, shit, this is my." You're like poking him with the stick, were you? No, I meant like stimuli as far as like you know. I know you don't have children, but you've been around small kids. Oh, know? yeah. I've, I've, I've watched my nephews grow up a, a bit. Yeah. I was around my, my uh, oldest nephew when, when he was a baby. It, you, you notice like what normal childhood development is and what's not. And that's exactly what we saw is she's not – She's not speaking when she should be. She's not walking when she should be. She doesn't oh. want to feed herself. Um, okay. Certain environmental. See, I didn't know those things were milestones. I just, 
I just remember, you know, watching my nephew grow up or grow up, go from being a baby into a a kid. And yeah. Uh, And okay, so being a programmer, I'm I'm a very analytical and logical person. Right. So my son. Has a set schedule. You know, he, he wakes up. He does X. Then he does Y. Then he does Z. And they all have varying time frames. It's not set in stone or anything. But he has certain responsibilities he has to do. That never happens with my daughter. And never will. Um, she can... She does the same things. But they never are initiated by the same stimuli. And now she's eight now, and I can say, Mila, come here. And it's a 50-50 chance of whether she'll do it or not. And it, part of that is her being a normal eight-year-old, and I don't want to listen to my dad. And the other part of that is she can't tear herself away from what she's doing or wherever I am, she can't process the audio or the visuals that she sees or is experiencing. That's really hard to to parent that kind of a process. It's almost like trying to write software for a computer where the resources of that computer constantly change and you're never informed of what those changes are going to be and when they happen. <laughs> you know, it's a sort of it, like quantum programming. <laughs> very, very much. Yeah, because oh shit, you're gonna get me started, buddy. Because yeah, it, it like the uh uh um uh, Schrodinger def- programming. <laughs> quantum programming is different from or, or quantum computing is different than traditional computing because traditional right. computing has an on or an off state, whereas quantum has an on, an off, and an on and off in the same space. So it has three different possibilities. But that third possibility is technically three in itself because you can have both or one or the other. And, um, you know, I think back to my math teacher in seventh grade who had the biggest impact uh, of all my math teachers in my education, where he's like, this is algebra, and you're going to use it every day. Yeah, I've heard that shit before. How? Um, and his example stuck with me, uh, and I use it with my children. And take take a child, preferably with permission, to McDonald's uh, and, ha- and have them order their own meal. <coughs> okay. It's a perfect exercise in algebra because ordering food is an algebraic equation. Um, and without getting into semantics... It, okay. it does work. It does work out in simple for, in simple algebra, right? A plus B equals X, and you're given the value of two things, but you don't know what the third is. 
a child never knows what they really want. And even if they do, they still have a variable that they don't know. So how do you compensate for that? Because I would say, I would I would argue it's more of a um, sort of practice in, in reality. Yeah. Freedom of choice, because your choices are influenced by your experiences, and your experiences change. People are polynomials. There are all kinds of constants and and uh, and dynamic variables running through you, cha- influencing everything that you do at, at every second of the day. So no, for me, yeah, it's, right. it's right. hard to make that 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 connection to ordering food to to algebra because to me that's that's just constantly changing because you even if you have two unknowns you still have one known you know if you're doing one plus x equals y or x plus one equals y or hell even x plus two equals three you've always got some random there that's that you don't know what it is or how it's going to affect the outcome. Yep. So I just learned to have no expectations at all. <laughs> that way I'm I'm always either pleasantly surprised or, you know, if it's disappointing, then it's not really that disappointing because I didn't get my hopes up to begin with because I I didn't have any expectations. Well, I think you're you're capable of looking at a situation that you might come across in life from a different perspective than than I look at mine. I I look at mine in a very logical expectation kind of a way. Like I I walk into a restaurant, I expect to be served food exact to my instructions and then I expect to eat that food and then I expect to leave. When one of those things don't work, I get fucked. I get nuts. Um, and it, the one that normally falls apart is the the instructions part. You're dealing with a quirk at that point. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but so getting back to the quantum computing, that's where I learned what ECC memory was. Do you know the difference between non ECC and ECC memory in a computer? Uh, yeah, one's error correcting and the other isn't. Why is it error correcting? I believe what? there's some there there's onboard math that's able to prevent it, it prevents less. I guess for better for for lack of better terms, it prevents. Cl- Far less collisions. Yes. Um, Back in college, I did two papers that I'm really proud of. One paper was for a psychology class that I took uh, because I wanted to take a psychology class. It had nothing to do with computer science. Um, Because I didn't go to a traditional four-year college. I just went to uh, like one of those like accelerated program colleges. Um, So I took a psychology class and paid for it because I wanted to take it. But 
I did a paper about um, the effects on the human society of a multi multiplayer online role playing game, right? Um, so this was back in two thousand and five. World of Warcraft had been out for a year, and prior to that, you know, the, your other big MMORPGs were like EverQuest and um, Camelot, and a, there were a few others. I think there was a Star Wars Galaxies game. Um, and then I did another paper about ECC memory. Um, or error-correcting, um, uh, error-correction <coughs> cor- code memory. It, it basically has a set of instructions embedded on the memory chip to enact code, which is math, that will um, correct errors. What I learned in doing the paper was the reason that ECC memory exists is because of space. And I don't mean like space on a computer. I mean space in the galaxy, right? The universe. So a computer suffers from electrical and magnetic interference. Um... Essentially, in in simple terms, we're bombarded by cosmic rays constantly. If a cosmic ray hits a computer component while an operation is being carried out, it throws an error. Right? So, that's a a very simple explanation to show this is... Any Windows user who's experienced blue screens of death and that blue screen of death had to do with a memory dump, that's because your computer got hit with too many cosmic rays and the operating system couldn't correct it because you have non-ECC, which is the standard. Because ECC memory is expensive. It's pretty much double the price of whatever DRAM stick you put in it. So if you put a 16 gig DRAM stick in that that stick of memory might cost you 60 bucks, for example. A non-ECC or an ECC version of that is in the you know hundred dollars or more. But to know that computers are that sensitive to cosmic rays. It just blew my mind. Um, They did research back in the late 90s that showed a majority of the one-off soft errors that DRAM chips uh, were recording were, were the result of background radiation, specifically the neurons that make up a cosmic ray. So they want they looked at different ways to change the contents of one or more of the memory cells that 
we're we're interfacing with the circuitry. There are a few different ways of doing that. One, you can surround your entire computer in two inches of water. <laughs> Which goes back to um, a recently there was a movie in Hollywood that the ship that the actors were portraying their characters in, the hull of the ship had an interior and an exterior hull, and in between the two hulls was two inches of water. And it was filtered through to remove the excess radiation that the water was catching. Um, and then they had this really ingenious idea that theoretically is possible, which when you clean that water out, you're able to use what it filters out of the water to create pellets for the fusion reactor. Well, that's a different tangent. But where it gets back to this is um, I, I then learned that depending on where you live in the world on Earth, it affects the rate of neutron flux in the cosmic radiation that your computer can get hit by. Oh, the, the other way of protecting your computer uh, aside from water is... Um, uh, data center? No. Cause a, okay, so a data center is just that. It's just a group of computers. Mm. No, they're typically shielded and reinforced and... Um, they have so a. You just answered what I was gonna say. Plenty of backup power and cooling. If they're getting bombarded by all of that cosmic radiation, being in a data center, that's probably even better than error correcting memory. Uh, it's probably it probably is. It's definitely um for longevity purposes, it definitely is. Um, so yes, you can, you could shield your computer in material that blocks cosmic rays, um, which is kind of hard to do if you read up on cosmic rays, they can pretty much pass through just about anything. It takes a lot for them to get stopped in or absorbed into something or reflected and reflecting them is easier than absorbing them. And there's there's things that there's things in the natural world that reflect cosmic rays, but they don't fit into the way that we, you know, live. Just like the idea of surrounding your computer in 2 inches of water, it's not going to be a cheap thing to do. Um and it's going to make owning a computer very cumbersome. So the idea was when, you know, the, the software companies started making operating systems, they started coming up with routines that would try to correct these types of errors because there are specific types of errors that are occurring so they can correct them. And, I mean, very early versions of machine learning, basically. So, where you live on the world affects the rate of neutron flux. If you live 
uh, at sea level, the rate of neuron flux is three and a half times higher than if you are at the cruising altitude of a commercial airplane, plane, which is 30,000 feet from sea level. 30,000 feet from sea level versus sea level, you're going to get more cosmic rays closer to the Earth because our atmosphere does a lot of the um, shielding. Um, so as a result, system systems that operate at higher altitudes require special provisions for reliability. That's one of the main causes of of that that uh, airplanes, you know, saying turn off all your wireless devices and stuff like that. Yes, it caused it used to cause issues with communications or could, and they didn't understand why. But nowadays, that's not really an issue. I think now they just do it because they're just fucking used to doing it. Um, so in 1997, NASA launched the Cassini spacecraft. It contained two identical flight recorders. Each of them had two and a half gigabytes of memory, which were formed in arrays of commercial uh, DRAM chips. Uh, and due to the built-in functionality of the sh- of the spacecraft, the telemetry data that was reported to the two different flight recorders, one was correctable and the other one was uncorrectable. Uh, during the two and a half years of flight, uh, the first two and a half years of flight, NASA's data collected from it were the 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 correctable data was showing a rate of 280 errors per day in the telemetry data using commercial memory chips, whereas the ECC memory on board to the second flight recorder was showing dramatically less. Um, just in the first month that Cassini was in space, the numbers increased by a factor of four on a single day and it was attributed to a solar flare event. So that that's another issue, right? You'll notice that if you have your ears to the grindstone, so to speak, when NASA weather is observing solar cycles and they the sun does a corona mass ejection that is going to pass by Earth or hit Earth, we exhibit more computer errors, which affects the Internet, it affects GPS, it affects your car, it affects fucking almost everything in modern society. It's And it's just really cool because you can fix it with one simple thing, which is putting non – or you putting ECC memory in your personal computers – and paying the extra money for that better technology. But it really makes you think, like, how is that going to affect humans, you know, 50 years in the future when we have more wearable technology outside of just the phone? When they break the phone into its components, right? 
and you're wearing sunglasses that have a camera built into it. Um, and you have something else that is con- able to send audio to your brain wirelessly without having to cover your ears with headphones. So, yeah, I could talk about <laughs> the the effects of cosmic radiation on computer technology for a long time. Be- um, it's also my favorite thing when my son comes downstairs and he's like, Dad, my computer's not working. I'm like, well, you're higher up. You must be getting more cosmic radiation than your mother and I. That's probably not the case. It's probably user error. But I just like throwing that at him because it quickly shuts him up. Um, and then I, you know, I, of course, go, okay, well, what kind of an issue are you dealing with? What, what's your computer doing? What's it not doing? Um, but it, it, it goes back to the conversation of traditional versus quantum in that uh, the types of errors that happen when cosmic radiation interferes with computer components is called a single bit error. Uh, and traditional computers use on or off bits. Quantum uses an on, off, and a variable. Um, my curiosity is there's a, a few quantum computers in, in operation right now. And I, I really want to know um, more about how cosmic radiation affects a quantum computer. Does it affect it in the same way? Does it affect it at all? Because is the quantum state able to overcome that single bit error because of that variable bit? Does that make sense? It's just it's just, it's fascinating to me. I don't know how if that's too nerdy, <laughs> but a, a spreadsheet that is storing ASCII format data, the character eight is a decimal value. 56 in the ASCII encoding. Um, If the byte that contains that data is stuck at its lowest bit uh, position and a change is made to the spreadsheet, it always, the the 8 will silently become a 9. And therefore, throws an error in the application because it shows you an eight and but in ascii it's stored as a nine because it experienced a single bit error with quantum i don't think a traditional software application would work obviously in in a quantum cpu because there are multiple there are other variations than one or zero um for those who are nerdy like myself, an eight in binary is zero zero one one space one zero zero zero. A nine is the exact same thing, but instead of the final character being a zero, it's a one. That's the difference. I don't know what an eight is represented in quantum. I don't know enough about the quantum binary language 
or what uh, whatever they use i'm guessing it would be based on something else that's kind of that's kind of how we do something right we make a machine that is better than the previous machine but we have enough familiarity that we can still understand what it's doing another cool thing is cache right on-chip cache of cpus uh many processors but not all processors use error correction coding on their CPU cache. Those include the Intel uh, Intium uh, uh, and the Xeon processors, AMD Athlon, the Operon, and all of the Zen and Zen Plus based processors from AMD, including like the, the Ryzen and the Ryzen Threadripper. So if somebody asks me, hey, uh, I'm going to build a new computer, what kind of CPU should I get? If they're building just a normal uh, gaming computer or consumer computer, they're not building a server, I'm going to tell them to buy AMD because every AMD CPU on the market right now has error correction code on the CPU. Whereas you only get that functionality if you buy the NTM or Xeon processors from Intel. Their traditional consumer CPUs do not have that. Interesting, um, to say the least. I don't know what the reason is, um, obviously, but I don't know enough about you know processor businesses to, to know why you wouldn't or why you want to put that on there. But as a computer user and a video gamer, gamer, I mean, it would make sense to have as much ECC technology as you can stuff inside of a computer. Um, having ECC on CPU only and nothing else kind of doesn't make sense to me. Because um, I, would, I would imagine that your CPU, your north and south bridge, your memory... And fuck, I mean, nowadays, solid-state drives are just glorified memory chips. So, yeah, fascinating stuff. I may have monopolized uh, the conversation there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. I'm telling you. I, to- I, I did warn you. About what? I didn't know what... It's okay. No, um, actually, what I was going to talk about was... Um, we are five days away from the new um, uh, lander uh, reaching the surface of Mars. So that's kind of exciting um, to me um, and to people who are interested in, you know, what they're doing on Mars with robotics. Yeah. Off topic of what we have been talking about. I don't know if you'll find this interesting, but I did. My wife uh, spends probably too much time watching TikTok. And in my opinion, most of what's on TikTok, it's just, it is what it is. It's just people looking for attention. But there, I have learned some cool things on TikTok. Uh, one of the things I learned was um, that 
there's a trend on TikTok right now where you can take a tortilla and you cut it from one side of the circumference to the middle. You can put whatever ingredients in it, fold it over on itself, make a. I don't really uh, use TikTok. No, I don't either. But she ran across an article and it said that dentists can tell whether you've recently given oral sex. Uh, run that Do by you, me again. A TikTok person said that dentists can tell if you have recently had oral sex by giving oral sex by looking in your mouth do you think that's true or false that's false (laughs) wrong (laughs) (laughs) so since that video came out um thousands of dentists have confirmed that it's true that a dentist can really tell if you've performed oral sex. Now, I don't know if that That's means... a lie. How? how I don't know there... how. Yeah. Listen. Okay. If we don't have the evidence, then that then, then well, that's why that's why I'm bringing says that they can. You that's know, that's why a... I'm bringing it up is, that... first of all, does that mean that a dentist can tell that a man did? perform oral sex on a girl or vice or another man or is it only i don't see how it would matter so does that matter and yeah i know well i'm i mean okay men's semen is different than women's ejaculate right regardless i don't i know i know so that's what that was my first question was well can they tell that you went down on a dude or you went down on a girl, can they tell the difference? Is it different? Or is there characteristics of your oral health that change when you give, recently give uh, oral sex? And how recently? Like 24 hours? A week? You know? I still don't see how it, how, how it matters. I don't know. I well. I, I, don't I don't see how any of that how any of that matters. I. <laughs> I, I, I know. I'm not saying a dentist that matters. is looking in your mouth, which I'm hoping you brushed your fucking teeth before you went to the dentist, and and okay, let's and mouthwash. Let's assume that that's the case, right? Just yeah. Like, I still don't see how that matters. Let's let's just say you are the epitome of good oral hygiene. Are you doing fucking meth and your teeth are just kind of shaving away as you're choking down a cock? I, uh, well, how does oral sex oral sex doesn't make your teeth rot? Oral does sex it? doesn't do anything more than than maybe if you were eating a cucumber or or a banana or a popsicle or a corn dog or a fucking hot dog or a hamburger. But do, I don't know that. I'm not a dentist, so I don't know. Use your fucking brain. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, like obviously there's something there that I did not know about. I mean, if they made no Or there's a whole bunch of dentists that are trying to drum up oral hygiene by saying that, yes, we can tell. Clean your nasty mouth. That's I don't know. That's what it is. Maybe. I mean... You read the back of a tube of toothpaste, and it always says, like, 9 out of 10 dentists recommend 
why is that one dentist being a dick, right? So maybe that's what this is. It's like they see this on TikTok and they're like, okay, well, 90% of the dentists out there say, yes, we can tell when you've performed oral sex. I don't know if that's really true or not, but I don't understand the motive behind them lying about it. Okay, so they're not lying, but they're not telling the whole truth. There's right, an article, who are you researching this now? There's an article on health.com, and it makes absolute sense. There's a condition similar to uh, to if you were to eat a hard candy like a lollipop, where the uh, bruising called pa- palatal petic... Fuck. Uh, I can't Pal- say it, but basically they can tell... Uh, when an object consistently, constantly hits the soft palate of your mouth, it leaves bruising or an irritation. And so if you are giving head, it's just like eating a lollipop. If you, okay, so if you're going in like immediately after, or you've had some really rough fucking sex, oral sex, then you're going to have bruising and irritation in your mouth. Okay, so this only applies... This only applies to one person. Ha- this only applies if you suck a dick. Yeah, this only applies to you sucking a dick. It doesn't apply to. Oh, you just shared the article. Thank you. Okay, so that that answers one question that my wife couldn't answer for me, um, because I can't think of how you would get bruising on your palate from performing fellatio to a girl. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. I think if a girl's just, you know, doing the 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 average, you know, sucking of the dick, um, it they're gonna be soft and 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 tender and and loving. Now, if you got her head in your hand and you're pounding away at it like your fucking teddy bear toy when you that you did when you were six years old because it or not six years old <laughs> when you were Jesus when Christ, you, Matthew, <laughs> when you were twelve. And you didn't have, and it had a hole, and it was the only thing you had, and you ripped a fucking hole into the back of its head. If you're doing your girl like that, okay, then the dentist is going to be able to tell. But oh, hold, back up, back, bump the brakes. Let's back up to this teddy bear conversation. What the okay. fuck, dude? <laughs> well, what? No, I mean, if you are a a a preteen starting puberty and you're and you first discover masturbation, what, what's wrong with just masturbating <laughs> with your hand? Why do you have to? Because get... you have the urge to fuck something, so you grab do you the, you grab for the teddy bear, and there's just a hole there. So you're like, is this what I'm supposed to do? You and I had very different childhoods. I'm not saying it's from my childhood. It's no, just, I'm just saying, like, like, well, I've never. I wish I had that thought. I guess when I was twelve. <laughs> well, no, it's just a now ran- it makes sense. It's just a random creative thought. That's all. Okay. I I won't I won't continue to bury you. I mean, we could say instead, uh, uh, you know, when when you're when you were 13 and you just discovered masturbation, you had the urge to fuck something, so you put your dick in a bag of Vaseline between the mattress and the box spring and went at it. Uh, I'm gonna assume that's not personal experience either. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Um, you just made me snort. Thanks a lot. Yes, I did. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So, I like I was saying, like I don't. I don't even have TikTok installed on my phone. I think it's just a waste of space. But my wife is not, well, she's not a prude, but she's also not very open with um, discussing things of a sexual nature. And so for her to bring that up and she's like, oh, my God, are you serious? And I'm like, well, first of all, you got nothing to worry about. Is that coming from personal experience? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is, unfortunately. And that's okay, because I could care less. Um, but my thing you was... Like is like, you knob slobbed? No, not really. Okay, moving yeah. on. <laughs> okay, moving on. But I, I just, I found it fascinating, because there are some really good, like, the the thing that's making TikTok the most popular is people sharing like different types of life hacks that are traditionally outside of the box of what a life hack is, and um, um yeah, so uh, take TikTok with a grain of salt, but don't I I wouldn't say not not to have it's a teenager thing that's it it is a teenager thing which can be a kind of a slippery slope but if your kid is on tiktok um it's you should you should have an account thing i would i would make an account and follow your kid that way you can kind of keep tabs on what your kid is being exposed to and exposing others to so um let's talk about uh, a different topic which is Having guests on our show. Um, I think you and I have both um, have had multiple comments from various people who have talked about wanting to be a guest on our show or how we should do like certain guest series and what those topics would include, that kind of thing. Um, I just want to let you know, like I'm open to the idea. I think it's great. Uh, you and I both know individuals of different calibers uh that would be very entertaining to have on the show um old friends new friends you know that kind of thing so i say i say we get something going okay you should just okay well what i just okay (laughs) i don't know what you want me to follow that up with well i guess like that's what we'll do we'll let's plan on I just figured we'd have uh, getting them. a guest on this show. I just figured Wait, it might not be like every month. week. Maybe maybe we just have like a guest a month or something. Um, and they do one of our shows, and then the next month we do another show. I'm just saying whenever. It doesn't have to be planned. I I think we should uh, go ahead and probably end this. My my intermittent internet issues are getting worse. I did enjoy t- talking about computer hardware in their design um, to interact with, you know, cosmic forces. I did inter- I did enjoy that conversation. I hope maybe somebody learned something from it um, or is inspired to learn more about it. 
um, because it's it's good knowledge to have. Not all software issues are because of pro, poor programming. Probably 30% of them, I would say, are associated to just co- cosmic radiation and uh, or background radiation, cosmic rays. Um, if somebody wants to correct me on that percentage, please do so. Um, I'm interested. And then I think we'll try to set up to have a guest speaker next week. You want to? Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Um, okay. Because we we've got one in the queue, so. I just figure as we get them queued up, we'll just do them. <laughs> do them. <laughs> We're just gonna do our death, our our guests. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> uh, and then also we 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 learned that um, Dennis can tell if you've sucked a dick, roughly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they can roughly tell only if. You suck a dick, roughly. Vigorous. Learn something new every day. Um, yes, sir. So I guess if, if I guess if I was the traditional um, father, afraid of my teenage girl being alone with a guy, I would want to know what to look for, but. Uh, I am not that kind of a dad. I want my child to love and to learn about love and and sex, but in a healthy manner. Um, I'm not going to be one of those dads, and I have never been one of those dads where it's like, oh, if you touch, if you touch my son or you touch my child, talking to another, you know, their significant other, uh, I've got a shotgun. I'm not like that. I'm not one of those people. Um, I kind of dislike those kinds of people, um, but I understand where the the urge to feel that way is coming from. You know, we grow up in a we're we're raising our kids in a world that sucks. Um, but I wish I could control my urge to want it to come. Um, well, that's part of being a responsible person is doing just that. I mean. Even if you can't control it, you don't go outside and uh, fucking attack somebody because you know that's wrong. You know, that's what I mean. Uh, yes, I was a teenager, and yes, I was led by my hormones many times, but I never put myself on somebody that didn't want my attention. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't think no meant yes ever, ever. I like. This comedian that I listened to on on Comedy Central said uh, he raises his daughter and his and his his teenage daughter and his teenage son the same way, with one exception. Every single time his son leaves the house, he says, "Drive safe and don't rape anybody." When his daughter leaves uh, the house, okay. Yeah, when his daughter leaves the house, all he has says is drive safe. And he in his act he talks a little bit about why he says those things, but he said, I think that's great advice that 
every man should say to every other man they come in contact with. Hey, be good. Don't rape nobody. You know, buying a donut at your at the coffee shop. Hey, thanks for the donut. Don't rape nobody. If we all started... It's a bit prejudicial, isn't it? Well, it is. It's a bit it is. But... <laughs> But if you think about what he is saying in a purer form, if it's not apparently it's not obvious to everybody that you shouldn't do that, and that's why rape happens. And yes, rape can happen um, in the other way, right? A, a woman can can rape a man. Uh, a woman can rape another woman. A man can rape another man. But if you remove the gender out of that and you just say don't rape nobody to everybody you meet, how long would it take for society to just finally get it? Oh, shit, I'm not supposed to rape anybody because I keep getting told not to. And I know it sounds stupid because it's it's an obvious thing. Like you said, you wish you could control your urge to want to come. And, and you do. In a in a sense, you do. You're well, like, you man, I w- have to be told any of that. Mm. Don't violate no, you yourself on someone. You no, you should not. What I'm saying is, is that's not apparent, obviously. I don't know how. I know. I don't either. Maybe it's because I I grew up in with white privilege. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get political. Even with privilege, you shouldn't have to be told not to be violent. No. I remember um, sitting in my grandmother's kitchen. My every day, my grandmother got up and cooked breakfast, and she cooked breakfast for every soul in the house, including her animals. She cooked chicken noodles from scratch, and I'm not saying box noodles. No. The woman made homemade noodles and cooked chicken, deboned it, and served it to her animals every day. And I asked my grandmother. Her, her animals or her family? Her animals. Oh. And she fed her, her, her family, too. But she always, she never fed her animals canned shit. Or, or dry cat food or dry dog food. She always cooked mm-hmm. chicken noodles from scratch. I said, Grandma, why do you do that? Why do you take so much time and effort to, to feed your animals homemade <coughs> food? And she said, because we should treat everybody the same. Would you rather eat this can of cat food or my homemade chicken noodles? I'm like, well, duh, Grandma. But I'm not a cat. And she goes, I love my cat the same way I love you. And yes, I know the difference between an animal and a human. And if the house is on fire, you come first. And I was like, well, I appreciate that. (laughs) But at the same time, like she had this level of kindness that I don't see anymore. Um, It doesn't get talked about enough. If if it does exist, we're not seeing it enough. And that's the difference. My grandmother never had to tell me not to lie or not to hit my siblings or or anything like that. She said the exact opposite argument. 
it was always it was always like that with her and it was it was beautiful because I catch myself with my son I'm like Josiah don't do that and and instead of being more proactive in my parenting to where that conversation never takes place because he knows better auto automatically does that make sense yeah yeah so it's kind of how that comedian's joke is is he's like well because that's not happening obviously we need to start telling people don't rape anybody you know have a good day you know and he's got a bit about don't run anyone off the road he's got a bit about holding the door open for people you know and if you if you're like me i do that to complete strangers i hold the door open i have manners and i also try to be a good person call it being a gentleman call it chivalry whatever you want to call it but i don't expect somebody to say hey thanks for opening the door for me my expectation is that they would see me doing that and and reciprocate that behavior and open the door for somebody else that's only polite to say thank you i agree that it is but i don't expect somebody to go hey thanks for opening the door i'm not doing it to get oh i would i do if i hold the door for someone you better fucking say (laughs) thank you you better show your fucking gratefulness you know i realize it's it's part social or polite social protocol but the other is i'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart i mean i know you shouldn't do this things so you shouldn't do things for the thanks but still you'd better say fucking thank you so he he does that he does that same bit and he's like i i opened the door and three people walked through the first two said thank you and the last one didn't and he said i instantly like grabbed him by his shirt and put him through the doorway and shut the door and i stood there going you have something you need to say (laughs) and the person's just like no why don't you get out of my way and he goes how about thank you And he goes for what i was opening the door for you and he's like okay well i didn't need you to i have two arms i could have done it myself and he's like that's not the point and i was (laughs) i just i i see it from both sides right because he was making a joke but it is infuriating when you do something that's courteous like that and somebody doesn't have the common decency to to go, hey, that was nice that you slowed down your agenda long enough to, to, to do a favor for me that's a simple gesture of, hey, there's a puddle there or here, let me get that door for you or um, you might want to open your umbrella before you go outside. It's raining, you know, something like that. Things that can better open it up be- outside. Don't fucking up in that shit indoors. That's bad luck. Oh my god! Stop it. The universe does not fucking work that way. Mm. I have arguments for and against that. It doesn't work that way. Don't know that for sure. Superstitions are not true. <laughs> they have. They they help. I believe you. that your fear of a superstition could 
could manifest. Um. Well, yeah, of course. Could manifest it into exi- existence, i.e. poltergeist. Fear is a huge influence chemically in our brain. And so, yes, you can. And you're also putting that energy out there. So, I mean, oh, it stop it. Stop it. Bad. Stop it. What? This, I'm this, just... is, this is good topic for a, a future episode. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, I do it, right? I'm, um, I am agnostic. I still say goddamn. Right? But a true agnostic, by definition, shouldn't. Uh, I don't uh, believe in superstitions. A Christian shouldn't either. Well, no. But I don't believe in superstitions, but I, when I want something to work, I still say, okay, I'm crossing my fingers, or I knock on wood. I still do it, and I say it. I don't believe in it. But I still do it. Um, Power of positive thought. Well, you, which is I also like the same thing as you put your mind to something, you can do mind, anything. Yeah, my wife hates it when I say that shit. Mind over matter. It's, well, because it's, it's true. It's very true. But for somebody like her who doesn't think in that way, it makes zero sense to her. And she can't see the proof in the pudding, so to speak. And I'm like, just just try it. Mind over matter, especially when you have pain or anxiety. Oh, my God, it's a huge coping mechanism. Um, but yeah. Uh, I think we should um, wrap up the episode. And um, I, I enjoy talking. And I'm sorry if I man- manipul- or monopolized our airtime talking about non-ECC and ECC memory. I feel bad. No worries. We'll do it again soon. Maybe we'll get to the point where we need to have like more than one episode a week. We'll see. I love you, buddy. You too, sir. Hey, um, have a great Valentine's Day. Alright, you too. See All you right. later, folks. See you guys. Thanks. <laughs>